Acts chapter 27. We want to look for just a few minutes about a detour, detours in our lives. Know what a detour is? <laughs> it's when you start one place and all of a sudden you find yourself that the road or your way isn't quite clear and you find yourself going into another direction that you hadn't really planned on, didn't understand, didn't know about, wasn't in your thinking. Acts chapter 27, we want to start reading at verse 13 through verse 26. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. Now I want you to just hold your place right there for just a minute before we continue the text. And I want you to know that we're talking about Paul and his voyage to Rome because Paul is under arrest and is being transported by a centurion company to Rome to appear before Caesar. And Paul knew that he was going to have to go to Rome, but he didn't know exactly how God was going to work the thing out because he had told that he would have to be before kings. He would have to stand and declare the gospel before kings. And one of the places that God told him he would have to be was in Rome. And there were three things. It wasn't Paul's choosing of this time that sent him to Rome. It was circumstances that sent him to Rome. And there were basically three things that sent Paul to Rome at this time. Three things that brought about this situation. One was... One of the things that brought about it was that he had legal rights. He had stood upon his legal rights. He had been falsely accused. He had gone to Jerusalem to meet with the, with the apostles and the disciples there and to explain to them what great things God the Holy Ghost was doing through the Gentiles. And while he was there in the, in the synagogues, he had been contending for the faith. And contention had arose, and he had been with warring with the Jewish population there, and they had beaten him. And he had found himself in contention with, with all of the whole city of the religiosity of the day, so much so that a, a tempestuous Situation had arisen and the centurions had to go down and take him out of that. And they had bound him and were preparing to flog him. And Paul says, you can't do that to me. You don't have the legal right 
to lay, to even bind me or to lay a lash to me because I'm Roman. I'm a Roman citizen. You see, sometimes the world thinks that we as Christians, they take that little passage where it says, you can't sue and think a Christian has no right to ever stand on their legal rights. They say you're also supposed to, to act in love. Therefore, I can do anything I want to you or to your, to your property or to your affairs and you have no legal recourse at all. You're supposed to lay there like some doormat and let me walk all over you. And that's just not so. And Christian after Christian, I've seen them, I've seen them in the ministry, I've seen them when I, around the periphery of the ministry. Wolves come in and they, and they want to ravage the flock. And when, when leadership says no, you can't do that, they get angry. And even some of the people in the church get angry. And, and the other, conversely, probably even more sad thing, I've seen some come in and want to sell their insurance and want to sell this to the people of the church. People drift in and they, and they go through the population, getting them involved in their circumstances. And when the church leaders sometimes just choose to ignore that, not wanting to blow up a bad situation. But I'm saying that Paul found himself in this because he says, you don't have a right to bind me. Because a person in Rome, who, uh, of a Roman citizen who was bound by another Roman and especially beaten by another Roman, themselves could be punished or even put to death if they were to do that. And as you read the life of Paul, you're going to see a smart guy. You're going to see a man who, who, who weaves himself in and out of legal circumstancing, using every circumstance to his knowledge and his, his understanding, to one, he's going to be all things to all people. If he's talking to Romans, he's going to be a Roman. If he's talking to the religious party, you'll see it in this story if you pre-read it, where he, he played the, the, the Pharisees against the Sadducees. But he never lied. He was always ex explicitly truthful. But he used his legal rights. And this is one of the things that brought him into this circumstance that we're fixing to continue reading about. His legal rights. He was falsely accused and he was, had been taken ultimately to Caesarea to stand because he had stood on his legal rights. And as a citizen, he, when they said, oh, will you go back to Jerusalem? The high, the, the chief Law enforcement officer said, will you go back to Jerusalem and stand at their council for judgment? And that would have been, that would have been like throwing gasoline on the fire. And Paul says, no, I won't do that. No, if I'm guilty, then I don't mind going back. But, but no man has a right to bind me. Therefore, I'm going to appeal to Caesar, my legal rights. And so they sent him to Caesarea with a, with a guard. And he found himself in Caesarea before Felix and ultimately before Festus, his successor the Roman peer creator of the time, because he had said, I appeal to Caesar. I'm standing on my legal rights. He had one, legal rights. And then secondly, he had hope. He was exerting hope. And hope put Paul into this beginning of a journey that was ultimately the will of God. 
Some people will say that hope has no place in the Christian movement, in the charismatic movement, in the Pentecostal movement, but I'm telling you, there is a place for hope in our existence. And hope brought Paul to this because his hope in the resurrection and his hope in the ministry of angels and in the fact that you can have a full spirit, that there's a moving of the Holy Spirit brought him into the situation. His legal rights, the fact that he had hope, which not all men have. All men have a measure of faith. But all men don't have hope. You see, your faith and your hope which got Paul into trouble, can get you into trouble at some time. Your faith can get you into, into a storm. It can get you into hot water because there will come a time when you have to stand and defend your faith. You absolutely must do that at certain times. And the third thing that Paul got him into trouble was because the Lord had told Paul in Acts 23, 11, to be of good cheer, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also in Rome. God didn't tell, he was telling him that there was coming this journey to Rome. But he told him, I want you to be of cheer along, this, along the pathway that I'm going to get you to the place to where you can stand before kings. When, when, when the circumstances come, I want you to have cheer because you're going to Rome. God told him about the journey. He told him he was going on the journey. But the thing that God did not tell him about, he didn't tell him about the storm that was coming. God told you he's got a journey for you. He's got a way for you to go. He's got a, he's got a direction for you. He's got a path. He's got a plan for your life. And too many times, young Christians, we, we give them the impression, especially in some of the more uh, trunk-line uh, compromised denominations, they just, they just woo them and say, come in, join the, join the body of Christ, join this church, and God's going to be with you, and everything's going to be okay. We have to look at people and say, you need, to get, you need to get saved. You need to get it settled before the Lord. But let's be honest with people. Let's tell them that when you come to Christ, there will be storms in your life. There's going to be tempestuous winds in your life. There's going to be diversions in your life. God didn't tell him about the storm. He didn't tell him about the diversions, the island that was going to have to be shipwrecked on until he was committed to the void. How many of you, if God had told you what your Christian yes to him would ever be, you, would, you may not well have said quite, so quickly, Lord, I accept you. If he had told you the battles that you would have to fight for your Christianity and the war that would have to go on against your person and against your flesh and against your mind, you, you might look back and say, Lord, if I had known then what I know now, I don't think I could have gone through the walk. I don't think I could have taken the journey. But God didn't tell you all about it, did he? He didn't tell you about all. Uh, oh, it was great to accept the time when we're worshiping and praising the Lord and everything's good, but he didn't tell you about the storm. He didn't tell you about the hard times when the wind would blow and the rain would come down. He didn't tell you when you'd have to be out shoring up the foundation to your property and to your, and to your spiritualness when you're surrounded by the storm.
God didn't tell him about that until he was committed to the void. God won't sometimes tell you the plan for your life, the next step, until you're willing to commit. Some people want every I dotted and every T crossed before you can get them to do anything. And faith doesn't, will never give you the whole picture. Faith never gives you. It gives you enough that you need at the moment. And, and most of the time, the Word of God tells us that the Holy Spirit tells us our plan. And His working in that plan only one step at a time, one day at a time. Sufficient to the day is the evil. Hang in there for the day. Get yourself strengthened for the day. Do what God's telling you today and what he's telling me for the day because that'll fill up our day. The Holy Spirit will fill up your day. Commitment. That's what God's looking for. Committed people. And when, when, we, when we elect to make the first commitment step, then the Holy Spirit rushes in and starts empowering us and starts strengthening us, starts encouraging us. And you know when you're committed. Commitment doesn't slip up on you. You know when you've committed to God. A lot of people don't even know they're saved. They don't even know they're committed to God. Inez probably as a Catholic, they, they never told you you could really know that you were saved. That's one of the greatest messages to a Catholic that there is. And when you can take the Word of God and show them that without a doubt that they can know today, this very moment, that they're saved. And by living compromised lives, a lot of Christians really don't know and there's that nagging thing in their, in their mind. I wonder if I am. I wonder if I'm not. And even, I, I, even a lot of Pentecostal, maybe not a lot of them, but I know some, that teach if you, if you sin just that much, you're lost. My Lord, what, what a, what a travesty to, to speak against men's minds. I've got to know that I'm saved, no matter if I sin, because I, I know that I'm going to sin. I don't go in planning to do it. I plan to act righteously. I plan to do what is right, but because I'm so unholy and God is so holy that when he brings my unrighteousness into view with his righteousness, I see the sin in my life. And if I, if I thought I was lost every time that I became aware of sin in my life, you would, you would never have any joy. I've got to know that I'm saved. I've got to have a commitment in my life. And there comes that time, if, if that nags in the back of me, people's minds, and it did mine, there came that time, and I can picture it right, right now in my, in my mind's view. I can remember where I was and when I was, when I said I've got to know that I know that I know. Maybe you got all your searching at one time. It didn't happen to me that way. But after I made that commitment, after I took the first step, that has never been a factor in my thinking anymore. It, Satan has never been able to come at me with that lie anymore and say, are you saved? Sure, the storms came after that, but he never could use that one. There is a commitment. There's a time of commitment. 
every, every airplane that flies. And I guess I draw upon this because I have a background in that. There's a time when you line it up, when you taxi off the taxiway and you line it up on the runway. And you've got all the runway ahead of you. And you're sitting still. And you're not committed to anything. You, you can go or not go. But as soon as you push the power onto the airplane and you start to roll, there, there's still a point in there where you're not really committed. But someplace down the runway, when you figure in the factors, when you take in the humidity, and you take in the wind factors, and you take in the runway condition, and you take in the weight of the aircraft, and you take in the type of aircraft, and you take in all the peripheral things, and you feed them into, into a computer or to a graph, you know at some point that on a, on a exact point on the runway, when, right there, you have to be committed to either go or not go. And there's, there's mileages in that, and there's feats in that, and there's, and there's power in that. There's power in determining that thing. A commitment I'm talking about. And Paul found himself in this because he committed to the plan of God, not to this journey or the detour, but he was committed at some point to the journey. And he was there because he had legal rights, and he was there because he had hope in him for the resurrection of the dead. Does, doesn't the resurrection, don't you find comfort in the fact that if you die in this life, you are immediately your spirit and your soul in the presence of the Lord and this piece of temple flesh lies down if we go that way through the, through the veil. And, but this is just the temple that we live in. I take comfort that they're, that they're not going to put me in the, into some box someplace and lure me into a ground and sleep there for a, a thousand years like some teach. I take glory and I take pleasure in the resurrection of Christ that if I should die this very moment, my spirit and my soul, we will be immediately in the presence of the Lord and all they'll lay down is this terminal piece of flesh. That's why Christians can have hope. And Paul, this was part of his hope that he, that he was sharing with them. That very definitive piece of knowledge he had shared with them. And that brought him part to where he was. And the ministry of angels. Because he said, there is a ministry of angels. And some didn't believe that. And the contention brought it by. You know, you start talking about spiritual things to some people. About the, about the spiritual world. And I just ran across it within the last week or so. You start telling people about the spiritual world and their mind, yet yeah, they're not saved and their mind's not renewed. First of all, they can't understand it. And secondly, they'll war with you for the right to not let the spiritual world be involved. And Paul had told them that the Spirit of God is a viable force in my life. And he directs me and he speaks to me and he, he heals my body and he gives me answers to the, to the needs of my life. He prospers me in everything that I do. And they had trouble with that. Don't you know that when you start telling people that the Spirit of God leads you, the Spirit of God sustains you, you're not depending upon your circumstances, you're believing God through faith. 
You start speaking faith words that the God will do this in your life right now that you're not tied to your own capabilities. That you can stand on the Word of God and you'll start reaping some detours in your life and you'll start reaping some storms in your life. Have you encountered that? Have you shared your faith with somebody and they didn't receive that? Faith people. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, a faith person. And faith had gotten Paul into the problems he was here. And then because Paul said, God has told me this. I hear the word of God. I am committed to his plan. He speaks to me. He had a problem. He had a storm. People don't mind it as long as you play religious games. They don't mind it when you come to church with your finery on and give into the offering out of your out of your abundance. They have problems when you come and have to give out of your need. They have a problem when you come and you can't make a contribution. They have a problem when, when you walk into a place of unbelief and great doubt and you tell them, I hear God. God speaks to me. God speaks to my mind. He speaks words of knowledge and words of wisdom. His gifts flow through me. He gives me direction for my life. People have problems with that. And I'll tell you, the ones who have the greatest problem is the religious world. The religious world. They'll have the greatest problem. You'll fight some of your greatest battles. You'll have some of your greatest detours. You'll have some of your greatest storms when you start defending who you are. The things that brought Paul there was his legal rights, his hope in the Lord, his hope in the resurrection, his hope in the ministry of angels, the hope that he had can have a full spirit and the fact that God talked to him. Now we're ready to read the rest of the text. Acts 27, verse 15, reading. And when the ship was caught, and when the ship was caught, well, the situation has changed, has it? It was a pleasant journey. Now the ship is caught and could not bear into the wind. We let her drive. And he was out of control. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands. Strike sail and were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest. The next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, no small tempest lay on us. And all hope that we should be saved was taken away. I want you to read this story as a factual account, but I also want you to start seeing with it your spiritual experience. Verse 21, But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me. Paul was an I told you so. And not have loosed from Crete 
and to have gained this harm and lost. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of the Lord, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. This story reads like our lives at times. It reads like your Christian experience and my Christian experience. Verse 13 says, And when the south winds blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they loosed themselves. In your life, your, your south zephyr wind is blowing and, and it's a nice, beautiful day and in your life and, and the sky is clear and, and the temperature is just a perfect 69 degrees and a perfect barometric pressure of 29.92. By the way, that's what a perfect day is. 69 degrees and 29.92 barometric pressure. Perfect day, comfortable. Everything's going good in your life. Your south wind is blowing. You've made all the right decisions. You have. You've made the right decisions based on the information that you had at the time. You used all your intellect. You looked at all the circumstances and you weighed your options and you said, I'm going to go this way. And you prepared. You got the mortgage in order and you got all your bills in order. And looked around and you lay there and you ran through your checklist in your mind. Got to cut the yard, keep the place looking good. Got to service the car. We got to do this and we got to do this and everything's going good. I got to be at work by 8 in the morning so I can get that done preparatory to the day and, and I'm pleasing my boss and, and everything's looking good. Zephyr of the, the south wind is blowing. And maybe even some Christian prayed. Maybe some even said, Oh, Lord. Help me this day. Give me strength. Don't let me offend anybody. Let me just have a nice day and my family and don't keep all the harm away from us. Amen. You know those kind of prayers never reach the heart of God. Never reach God. But maybe some prayed that way. And then with all those factors and with your checklist in place and your south wind blowing and the little everything's going good, your little ship is ship-shaped. The sails are all trimmed and there's a nice little breeze pushing you along, not too fast and not too slow, and we're comfortable. And you have set sail. And you are on your journey. But then suddenly detour. Uh-oh. 
How many Christians can stand a major detour? I don't see many detour signs that where it says you just kind of feed off this way a little bit. Most of them say you got to turn hard here, you got to turn hard there. And I didn't plan for that. My gas needle's running low. Didn't make plans. Didn't carry enough money. If I don't make it overnight, I got to stay someplace. Suddenly, your Iraqladon hits you. Now, Iraqladon was nothing more or less than a hurricane. That's, that's all that. It's just, a, it's just an eastern term meeting hurricane. And, and that's why for many days, how many of you have ever been in a hurricane, sat through a hurricane? How many of you, you've never been through a hurricane? You've got an experience in front of you there. This story will become rhema <laughs> to you after you have gone through your first one. And all of a sudden, those south winds that were blowing, Paul and his ship, as they were going up the west side of Mesopotamia, they had passed by a creek, they had shoved off, from Caesarea, and they were going by the western side of Turkey, and that little southern air zephyr that came off the, the, the wind currents in that area. All of a sudden, the winds were contrary. Why? Because the eye of the thing was south of them, and they were getting caught in the northwest quadrant. Now, in the, in the northern hemisphere, the worst part of the hurricane is always found in the northwestern quadrant. That's where the strongest winds, that's where the most tempest is, and that's where this little ship was. Sailing ship, probably not much longer than, than 50, well, 30 or 40 feet. Small things, and they were petrified because it had come on them suddenly. Suddenly. The wind changed. The tempestuous winds started to blow Oh, my life was going along so good. I had everything ship-shaped. I had made the decisions. I don't know where this problem came from. I'm trying to be good. I try not to say too many negative things. I try not to make too many bad confessions. I try to make it to church every now and then. I try to get involved in what God's telling me to do. I'm making an attempt to this, but then suddenly, your ship or your little ship can no longer bear up under the storm. And all of a sudden, you just say, I can't handle it. Have you ever gone along and you're tying up loose ends? You know, everything's calm. And all of a sudden, a little loose end, you tie that way. And then... And just to say, another one, and you tie up that one. And before you finish tying up this one, this one busts loose. And you tie that one, this one breaks loose. And then before you know it, you don't have enough hands. And pretty soon you just say, I give up. And just let the little ship drive, and what happens, happens. Detour. Suddenly, the clouds, that, the sky that was once blue and beautiful with nice little puffy uh, cumulus clouds drifting by that we like to see angels <laughs> in. Have you ever sat there and watched the clouds build things for you? Angels and horses and sailing ships and people, people's faces. 
People see Jesus in clouds, and, and I, don't have, I don't have any problem with that. You know, I, I think God can do all those things. But your little sky is blue, and all of a sudden, the, 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 the puffy white cumulus clouds start getting a little bit of nimbleness bottom to them, and then pretty soon they, the whole sky is overcast and it's threatening, and your life that was once smooth is now in the middle of a tempest, and it came so suddenly... so sudden. You know, Satan's not going to give you time to prepare. And if you're not prepared, most of the time, God won't either. Uh-oh, just broke my bubble. I thought God protected me in everything I did. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. If we, if we won't be obedient, there comes that time when the Spirit of God's if we're trying to run ahead, the Spirit of God says, okay, I've got the pace that I'm walking at. If you want to go ahead, go ahead. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you find yourself out there and you're alone. And you're in a storm. And the clouds are black and threatening. But the beautiful thing about this story in, in verse 17, it says, they used helps. In the middle of the storm, they had enough presence of mind to bring back their seamanship. They undergirded that ship with ropes and they slung ropes over the bow and let them drift down because those old ships were not the strongest in the world. And so they tied a, a, a rope around the thing and they girded it up in the middle and they, and they used, they cast out the tackling and they, and they took down the sails to, to trim the sails to, to ease the strain on the mast. I've just about expended all of my nautical knowledge. <laughs> but I know that they used helps. And I'm telling you, in the middle of your storm, if you'll remember that you've got helps in the Holy Spirit, it will save you the loss of your ship. And it will save you a lot of the putting up with the rest of the storm. They used helps. But sometimes you've gone so far that it's tough to get the ship trimmed and get it back under control again. And when we've gone through that thing, and then we start reaching toward God, and you say, Lord, out of the, the mylac, now I'm starting to reach toward you. And all of a sudden you find that your pride isn't quite as important to you as it was just a little while back. All of a sudden your ego is not quite as uh, substantial to you as it was just a little while before. But the thing when you're willing to remember and say back to God, I have helps because I'm a citizen. Then your legal rights as Paul's, the thing that caught him in his situation, one of them was that he, he had legal rights and voicing those got him into this situation. But also, it was part of his answer. And the fact that you have legal rights is a beginning of your helps when you start moving in your legal rights in the spiritual area. <clears throat> because in Mark 16, 17, Jesus told them that when the storms come and the hard times spring up 
and the sky that was once good and your little voyage that was once saved starts to getting in problems and you run against contentious waves and storms, remember, I'm giving you the authority to say, quote, unquote, in my name. In my name. A legal term. Legal term that heaven and earth and the things underneath the earth must recognize. They don't want to. Satan and his kingdom doesn't want to recognize that. And they, they bend every effort that they can to keep a person from getting saved. But once they get saved, they'll, they'll turn every trick in the book to keep that person ignorant or divert them from recognizing that they can quote that in my name. And use it in the helped area. You see, Paul, by his legal right, had said, I, am, I will not submit my judgment to man. I won't submit my judgment to the religiosity of the day. You can't take me back to Jerusalem and cause me to be judged there. I refuse that. I appeal to Caesar. Because he was a citizen, he had legal rights. Can I tell you that when you say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ and you become one of God's kingdom killed children, you have legal rights. And your appeal is not to man. You look at man and say, you cannot judge me. You have no right to judge me. How many people who would say everything died out, all the gifts, all the moving of the Holy Spirit except in your name died out at the end of the first century and you say to them, that's a lie. And they say, well, you can't walk with us. And you have to look at them and say, you can't judge me. I don't stand at your judgment seat. I don't stand at your judgment seat. I, like Paul, he appealed to Caesar. I appeal to the Lord Jesus. In my name, my legal right. And in with that standing on my legal right comes my right to be everything that God wanted me to be. It comes my right to be edified when my storms are, when I find myself in a storm. How many of you know when you're walking through the middle of your storm, you can just step back in your spirit and just say, And the Spirit of God. You feel, that, you feel that edifying just as we felt it in here Wednesday night when I, when I told the people, I'm tired tonight. I'm physically tired. My body is tired. I've, I've expended energy today. And I'm sure that Satan wanted to keep me as he always does. I said, let's pray for God for spiritual strength. And we prayed almost to a person in here. And everyone had a witness that the Spirit of God supernaturally strengthened them. If you're staying away from church because you've had a wrong day, you're missing God. Now, I'm sorry if that's strong and if that breaks your little bubble and if that's, a, if that's a detour in your life or if it brings a little storm cloud on your horizon, you've got to hear God. That prayer language that comes through using that name, I can have edification and that, pre that presence that comes and the power that comes through my using that name, my legal rights, means that I can hear God.
You see, if you're hearing God and I'm hearing God, we won't ever have a problem. Isn't that wonderful? The problem comes when I'm not quite hearing God or you're not hearing God. And can I tell you, we don't always hear exactly what God said. We should. But that's the only way the friction can come because God is not going to divide himself. The Holy Spirit and Jesus can't speak divergent terms to us. Can't, one can't give us one plan and one give us another. They speak compatibilists, and yet they have distinct personages. And we can be the same thing we are commanded not only to be, but to be. Not only that's available, but to operate that way. In that name of Jesus, I can have victory over the storms that I, that I see coming or that I find myself into. Why? Because I have legal rights. It's in that name that at that name every knee should bow. Paul told in Philippians, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. You know that that's your knee as well. When you speak that word, that's your knees as well as the guy that we're warring with. Sometime God will look at you and say, hey, it's not all him. It's, it's some of it's you. Uh-oh. I didn't want to hear that, God. I wanted, to, I wanted to hear how when I spoke words against him, you would just put a consuming fire and buckets of coals on his head and just, and just burn him up. Said, be careful what you wish on somebody else because it might come back to you. Bible says over there in Hebrews, whoever you lead into captivity, you go into captivity. <laughs> That's tough. That's tough. But to send that legal name, that every that the name of Jesus, the legal term, every knee should bow. You see, Pharaoh didn't want to bow his knee to, to God. He wanted to keep God's people and God's things locked up for his own subservient pleasure and those of his country. Sodom and Gomorrah, Gomorrah didn't want to bow their knee. AIDS, the AIDS community don't want to bow their knee to God. Homosexuality wants to find a cure to AIDS so they can go on in their promiscuousness. And well, let me put, let, let me back up. So, so that they can go on in their grievous sin. It's not a disease. And people are not born that way. They are deceived. And as they move through that deception, they become more deceived until the place where God's Spirit can no longer be heard by them. And they choose that. But the beautiful thing is, that God can deliver. And I'm not, I'm not casting down the person. I'm casting down the sin. And we, we would welcome to minister to homosexuals, but I don't have one minute to condone their lifestyle. Solomon and Gomorrah didn't want to bow their knee to the Word of God. And you know what happened there. Some people say, the liberal, the liberal theologians say, oh, there's not a rock a place like Sodom and Gomorrah. Never existed. Well, the beautiful thing about it is the word said, My word is true, let a man be alive. Archaeologists are digging up facts in every seven days that all these things did and were there. And the word of God is proving every man a liar, but the word true. In the name of Jesus, 
My legal right is that I can have healing for my body and those of my family. I am the spiritual authority of my head, the head of my house. What I allow, God will allow. What I disallow, God will back me up by all the authority of heaven and say they have no right to come at you. When I use that name, poverty spirits have no right inside of the limitations of my spiritual faith and belief. Some of our live services were cut short, such as this one, by the recording technicians. Sometime possibly because we moved into the altar service, or maybe it was a technical glitch. I feel, however, that the content in offering these contains thoughts that are so good and deep and have meaning to encourage and inform the hearer. So with that in mind, be blessed by these teachings. This is Dr. West praying my blessings upon you. In Jesus' name.